church? Raise your hand. Let me see you honestly. Man, would not have church. Would not. You, a couple dentists didn't think. Well, I appreciate your honesty, Dennis. How many of you are glad we did have church this morning? Come on, yeah. Isn't it good to get to come together and, and worship God and, and spend time as a church family? Here's what we're going to be doing the next few weeks. Uh, I'm going to be doing a series this month called 30 Days to Live, but I'm calling it This Time. This time, because at the beginning of the year, how many of you have made some New Year's resolutions? Let me see your hands. You've made New Year's resolutions? Okay, a few of you have. You know, usually the beginning of the year is when you say, all right, this year I'm going to do some things differently. This year I'm going to lose 25 pounds, or this year I'm going to whatever, you know, and you fill in the blank. And, And the beginning of the year is typically when we do those kind of things. And I thought it was very appropriate to start off the year talking about how to get there, but I think we need to change our focus a little bit. I think what we need to do is we need to decide that we're going to live our lives as if we've got an expiration date. I want to ask you this question, and this is the big question that we'll be talking about over the next three to four weeks. If you knew you only had 30 days to live, how would you live differently? If you knew you only had 30 days to live, how would you live differently? And I want to tell you something. The, where this comes from is, is in the book of John, Jesus talks about before he goes to the cross, and I'll, I'll read about that in a few minutes. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be giving his life up. And so he knew that on X day, I'm, gonna, I'm gone. I'm done. Okay. Now, again, he rose from the dead and came back and spent some more time with the disciples. But there was a time that he had this amount of time left that he was going to be able to spend with his disciples. And so he knew when the expiration date was going to be. And it's very interesting. If you watch somebody that who knows maybe they have a terminal disease or they've got an idea that, that they're going to be passing away or moving on, how differently they act. Because the truth is, if we all knew we only had 30 days left, we would radically change our lives, wouldn't we? We'd do things very differently. And as people, one of the ways we live typically is, since we don't know what our expiration date is, we live like we're going to live forever. How many of you, when you were a teenager, lived like you were bulletproof? Come on, let me see your hands. How many of you are paying for that now in your bodies physically? Come on. That's the truth. You know, we go hard. We go, I'm going to live forever. Don't I? You know, and, and we just kind of go, go, go. And our bodies now, we're, we're going, ah, I remember when I did that. No, I remember, you know. And, and we, we think about those things, you know. And, and I think we do that. We tend, because that's just the way we're made, we tend to think we're just going to go on forever. But the truth is we're not. Either Jesus is going to come back or we're going to pass away. And there's an expiration date. The the challenge is we don't know when that is. But let me ask you this. How amazing would your life be is if you lived your life knowing that on X date, I'm done. How different would your attitude be? I'm going to tell you some of the things that would be different. You would forgive very easily. You would love completely. You would absolutely love people without any fear. You would live your life with passion. You would be a different person because you know, hey, I'm done. You would care a lot less what people think, wouldn't you? Like, you think whatever you want to. I'm out of here in 30 days anyway. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you think about the things. You would be very bold in how you approach life, knowing you're going to end. So let me ask you this. If you were to live that way, and let's say you lived 20 years, but you lived your life, as if you only had 30 days left, think how fulfilling your life would be. 
really. And, and I think if we will get a hold of this truth, and, and I was telling Marty this morning, I really believe that this is one of those series that if we'll apply what God's showing us here, it will radically transform our lives. Because the truth is, most of us live very tentatively, very reserved. We, we, we tend to not take a whole lot of risk. We tend to, to live in the background a little bit. We tend not to extend ourselves emotionally. We're very reserved because most of it is we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to be embarrassed. You know, we don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to look like a fool. And so what happens is we live back here in the background in the shadows and we just kind of get by. And we never reach our full potential. And I want to tell you today, guys, I want to challenge you that God has called you to more than that. Every person in this room. Listen to this. Uh, John 10.10, 10, and again, we don't have the screens today. Some of you have the sermon notes, and you can look on there. Some of y'all gotten lazy. Some of you don't even know how to open your Bibles. I'm going to make you do that today. John 10.10, 10, this is out of the Message Bible. This is Jesus. Jesus says, I came so that they, us, can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus said, I've come that you could have a more and a better life than you ever dreamed of. Now, I want you to take a second. Think about, you know, and this is a great exercise. Trish and I try to do this a pretty good bit. Where we sit down, we think of, what would life be if X, Y, Z? What would happen if you were really living your full potential? What, what happened if money wasn't an issue? What happened if you, you didn't have unforgiveness in your life? What would happen if, and it's amazing how your perspective and your emotions change. And Jesus says, I've come that you may have more life, full life, than you ever dreamed possible. Jesus has a dream for your life that's beyond your wildest dreams. Wow. So the question is, how do we find that? If God has this amazing plan for my life, how do I tap into that? How do I adopt that? How do I allow that to become a part of who I am? Because that's pretty amazing. Because, you know... When I read my Bible, every word in it is true, right? We, we believe those things. We make that quote, this is true. And, and I listen to Jesus. I mean, in some of your Bibles, it's written in red when he says stuff, so you want to pay attention to that. And, and he says, I've come so that you might have a full life. One of the other versions says that you may have a life abundantly overflowing. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I want that. I want that. So how did Jesus live in the last days before he went to the cross. How did he live? Number one on your notes, Jesus lived passionately. Jesus lived passionately. First John 5, 11 through 12 says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, He who has the Son, who has Jesus, has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I want you to understand something today, and I wrote some notes on my my paperwork here. I want to make sure I read them to you. And this is one of those things, some of you are going to want to write this down. Life is painful and beautiful at the same time. Life is painful and beautiful at the same time. Life is hard and fulfilling at the same time. Life, you know, life tends to be that way. 
I mean, how many of you wake up in the, day, in, in the morning and you say, God, give me a good day. I don't want to have any stre- stress, any pressure, any pain. I want everything to go smoothly. You know, we do that, don't we? We want everything to go great. But what tends to happen a lot of times? Somebody, I added that. You just did that. It's hard. Sometimes you wake up and it looks like this outside and it's a hard day and things happen and, and it doesn't turn out like you want it to and, and it tends to be hard. You know, I looked at, a few years ago, I went up to uh, Montana and I went elk hunting. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. I love to hunt uh, and I went elk hunting. We spent 10 days up there in Montana. Uh, the first couple of days, it was about like it was yesterday. It was pretty nice. It wasn't real cold. And, and then on like day two or three, it started snowing. Now, I'm from Texas. A little bit of snow makes me nervous. It was feet of snow. I mean, it was snow everywhere. And, and it snowed so much, one day we couldn't even get out, and this blizzard blew in, and it ended up snowing for like the seven or eight days we were still there. So we finally got a break in the weather, and we went out, and the guys dropped me off, and I walked up this trail, and I got on the side of this mountain, and it was absolutely amazing. I took some pictures of it. I've got them somewhere at the house. But it looked like a picture. I mean, this, no animals had been out on it yet. There were mountains. There's the Rocky Mountains, obviously. And there were mountains everywhere. And it was perfect. But there was a mix there. It was really cold. I mean, like, hurt you cold. Like, probably what's going to happen here in a little while, right? I mean, it was really, really cold, but it was beautiful. And a lot of times, that's how life is. There's this beauty mixed with this pain, and these, these things kind of go together. And you go, Why, how does that work? Well, I'm going to explain that to you in a minute. Explain. I actually said explain. I'm going to explain that to you. Man, alive. I'm glad my mom's not listening. It's so funny, I, got, I tell you guys, my mom and my dad are on our one-call system. If you're not on the one-call system, see Tana, because you need to know we give reports and service things and if we're canceling church or not. And my mom and dad, who are in Texas, are on our one-call system. So when I called you guys this morning to let you know we're going to have church, my mom and dad get the phone call. So I get this call, Christopher, is everything okay? Is everything fine up there? What's going on? You know, it's 20 minutes till church, and my mom's calling. Hey, is everything fine? Or is it cold? You know, that's my mom, okay? I mean, she's just that way. I'm like, yeah, mom. I haven't called her back yet. Y'all don't tell her that I got her message before service. She'll be upset. But, but we want everything to be fine, don't we? We want it to be okay. But the truth is, it's painful and beautiful at the same time. I want to ask you a question. Are you waiting to really live. And here's what I mean by that. How many of you remember, older folks remember being a teenager? Okay. How many of you remember older folks being like 10 years old, 8 years old? It's kind of a little harder to lean back. Some of you do. All right, some of you do. I want you to remember, have you ever asked a kid, all right, let me see, who, under, who in here is under 10 years old? Anybody? <laughs> Awesome, you, you've aged a little bit, you, you're great. Anybody under 10 in here? How old are you, sweetheart? How old are you? Seven? Seven what, just seven? Okay, in December. Oh, so you just turned seven. Have you ever asked a kid how old they are and they go, I'm seven and a half? Have you noticed that? Or, or somebody that's little, they tend to half it up. You know, I'm seven and a half, I'm eight and a half. Have you ever talked to somebody over the age of 50 that said, I'm 50 and a half? 
Have you? What do we tend to do? I'm 30. You know, I mean, we, it's funny when we're young, we can't wait to get old. Have you noticed that? When you're a teenager, you can't wait to become 16. Why? Driver's license. You know, and then there are these breaks. Then there's when you get to vote. And then there's 21. And then there's, you know, but all of a sudden, I can't wait till I'm X. And then it's, oh, man, I'm 30. (laughs) And then it's, I'm 40. And then, you know, it kind of, it's interesting. And then when you really start getting older, it's like, I'm glad I made it through today. You know? And then when you get over in your 90s, you go, I'm 90 and a half again. You know, I mean, now you start breaking it down to where you start using the halves and the quarters and the. My point is this. In life, so many times what we do is we set these expectations that say, when I reach a certain point, then I can really begin to live. When I graduate from high school, then I can really begin to live. When I, when I learn to drive, when I get my degree, when I get married, when I, when I, when I, when I, and what ends up happening is that we wish our life away. Always waiting on someday. And someday never comes. And, and I want to tell you, the Bible backs this up. We've got to learn to live for today. Jesus said that. Jesus said live for today. And we need to learn to do that. And, and I want you to know, if, if you're that person that's waiting on X day, you know, Taylor turns wherever she is, she turns 20 tomorrow. You know, and, and that's a big landmark, milestones for us. But think about in our lives how we do that. And I want you to understand something. And if you don't get anything else out of this today, get this. Live today. Begin to live today. Begin to make that decision that I'm going to live today. Quit waiting for that date out there that's always going to change. Start now. Jesus lived that way. Jesus lived passionately. He lived very passionately, did he? I'm going to tell you why. If you look at Luke chapter 7, verse 31 and 32, this is in your notes. So Jesus talking. He says, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? And this is what he says. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a song, a dirge for you, a sad song, and you did not cry. And I, I studied this out to see what this meant. And what Jesus was talking about was this generation that he had been sent to. He'd been sent to the world in this generation. He was talking about the religious people, but he was also talking about everybody else. And this is what he was saying. He goes, you act like children. You're self-centered. And I told you, I've come to this revelation in the last few months as a pastor. The biggest challenge I deal with with myself and with other people is we tend to be self-centered. We want what we want, and we want it now. Anybody? Right? We tend to live that way. And so we structure our lives around what we want and what we can get. And Jesus said that's what this generation was like. Is they're self-centered. And, and here's the point, what the author was talking about that I was, I was reading the... Um, guy that was talking about this and he said they'll do whatever they want to get what they want they're they're self-centered and it says we'll play the flute for you and you didn't you didn't dance you didn't sing in other words we were telling you how we thought you should live and you would not do that now Jesus was referencing here his ministry and the ministry of John the Baptist to the people that were around him because remember back when Jesus came along it wasn't like Jesus showed up and did ministry like everybody else did 
Jesus didn't operate that way. And he made the religious people very uncomfortable because he didn't kind of go along with, he obviously followed the word and did what the word said and went out there and did all those things he was supposed to do. But he made a lot of the religious folks uncomfortable. And that's what he was talking about here. He said, you only see it from this perspective, but that's not what God is about. And so Jesus was very passionate. You know what he was passionate about? He was passionate about the brokenhearted. He was passionate about setting captives free. He saw all these people that were hurting and that were lost. And he began to reach out to them. And he asks us to do the exact same thing. But he lived with passion. Passion requires something. This is not in your notes, but you can write this down. Passion requires vision. Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew what he was doing. And again, when we talk about being at the beginning of the year, you have to have a why in your life that's bigger than the way things are. There has to be a reason for you to work harder, try harder, do something. You have to have a vision. You have to know where you're going. Here's what I want to encourage you to do to do that. Spend some time praying and seeking God. You're not going to accidentally find what God's called you to do in your life. You're going to have to make time for that. You're going to have to sit down and spend time with God. The answer is always draw closer to Jesus. You understand me? And if you want to find passion, the way you're going to find passion is finding what God has for your life. And that means getting close enough to him to hear him speak. Because if you come to me and say, Pastor, I'm trying to find vision for my life. I'm trying to find the direction that God wants me to go. Here's the thing that I would tell you. Get with God. He will show you. But you have to do that. Right? Right? Thank you. That's exactly right. So Jesus lived passionately in it. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to dig into detail. I'm kind of giving you a, a Reader's Digest overview of the notes today. Number two, Jesus loved completely. He lived passionately. He loved completely. John 13, 1. Jesus knew that, that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I'm going to read that again. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave. He knew. He knew his time was coming. I'm leaving on X date. So what did he do? He loved his own who were in the world. He now showed them the full extent of his love. The greatest power in the universe is love. 1 Corinthians 13, and I've, I've got it opened here. Paul says, now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Man. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It's not proud, it's not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. 
Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. I'm going to do a little jig. That was pretty awesome. (laughs) I thought that was my background music there for a minute, but that's all right. When I was a child, I talked like a child. Listen, think about what Jesus was talking about earlier. When I was a child... I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, but when I began to mature, I put, away, put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And listen to this. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. And Jesus loved completely. So when we look at his life and we realize he lived passionately, he had a reason to live, the second point is he loved completely. And I want you to understand something today. Love takes risks. In order to love completely, you have to open yourself up to be hurt. And I want to tell you something. I'm starting a series next month, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about hurt and pain and love and and all those things because it's really big about, I think, what God's wanting us to learn about and do this year. But I want you to understand, to love completely, you have to be vulnerable. You have to allow yourself to be hurt. And the world is full Our church is full of people that have been wounded and hurt because they loved and they were betrayed and they were hurt. And what happens is we tend to want to defend ourselves and we put these walls around our heart where we aren't vulnerable anymore. And what happens is we shut down the very thing that God calls us to do. And the reason we don't find fulfillment in life is because we're so locked away, we built such big walls around our life that we won't let anybody in and the worst part is we can't get out. Jesus loved completely, knowing what was going to happen to him. You know, think about this, guys. He had these disciples. These were his closest friends that were surrounding him. They were his family. I mean, he loved these guys. One of them betrayed him with a kiss. And the rest of the bunch ran off. And he was vulnerable. And alone. Remember when he hung on the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? There was a time that God had to turn his face away from Jesus, who he had never been separated from his Father throughout all eternity. And God had to turn his face away because of the sin that Jesus took on for us. He loved completely, and because of his love completely, he he had to deal with pain, the pain of rejection. And I want you to understand something today. And I know I'm speaking to probably everybody. You're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you. People that love you are going to hurt you. People that are close to you are going to hurt you. Some of them intentionally, some of them unintentionally. But it's going to happen. But we have to get to the place in our life where the supernatural love of God can flow through us, even in the midst of pain. Because if you begin to block your heart off and guard your heart, you will never live life completely. You are handicapping yourself. And the only person that can do that to you is you. You're the person that has to make that decision. And Jesus did that. Jesus replied in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 39. 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what God's talking about here. And Jesus lived that way. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? But he also loved his neighbor as himself. He loved his neighbor the same way. You mean the neighbor that's mean to him? Yeah. I want you all to understand something. I'm going to get down here because it just seems like the right thing to do. Um, Here's the deal. When we begin to love people, and we begin to forgive, and we begin to walk in this love and unforgiveness, you are freeing yourself in life where nothing can hurt you. When you choose to walk in forgiveness, when you forgive those that hurt you, remember Jesus said, forgive those, bless those. He didn't say just forgive them. He said bless them. Bless people that despitefully use you, that hurt you, that talk about you, that betray you. He said love those people. And I want to tell you why. It sets you free. They have no power over you. When you live in fear and rejection of somebody, you're actually chaining yourself up to that person. They can hurt you because they have power over you. But when you forgive them and you love them, it sets them free, but it sets you free. And when you walk in forgiveness and love in your life, no one can hurt you. And what happens is you begin to reflect the love of God through your life. And you will have joy. You will have absolute joy, and it will be your strength. Say, Pastor, how can I do that? It's a choice, and it's hard, but you have to choose to do it. Why? Because we have the greatest example on the planet, Jesus. Hanging on the cross, innocent. Hanging on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I want you to use those words sometimes. When somebody hurts you, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you've been around here any amount of time, you've heard me say this. This is one of those cornerstones of my life. Hurting people hurt people. The reason people hurt you is because they're hurting. And they don't know how to deal with it, so they project it on you or around you or whatever. That's what happens. And the only way they're going to get free is if the love of God flows through their life and sets them free. So here's what happens. When somebody hurts you and you forgive them, you know what, that hurt me, I'm going to forgive you. That doesn't mean you just receive it and get hurt all the time. But I'm just saying you forgive that person. What are they expecting you to do? Fight. Get back at them. But what happens when you love them? All of a sudden, something supernatural begins to occur because the response that happens to them is not what they anticipated. And they're going, wait a minute. That's why Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And some of us, some people tend, oh, I got chili bumps. Some people think that Jesus was a wimp. Let me tell you something. The strongest people are the ones that don't have to prove it all the time. Do you remember when Pilate said, you know, tell me who you are, you the son of God, whatever, they're doing this, that, and the other thing to you, right? They're getting ready to, he's getting ready to condemn him, kind of like, hey, I'm the man here, you need to tell me something. Give me something to work with. And Jesus said, look, I could call 10,000 angels down here right now. And I tell you what, if it had been me, y'all would have been in trouble. (laughs) 
You know what I'm saying? And he took it. And he took it and he loved completely because of us. And he forgave completely so he was free. And, and we can do the same thing. And if you want to change people, love them. And don't think that doesn't, they don't notice that. Set them free. Set yourself free. Love completely. Take the risk. Is there going to be heartache? Yes. Are you going to experience more joy than you could have ever imagined? Absolutely. Allow the power and the love of God to flow through you. Some of y'all, this is going to change your life. But you got to do it. And say, and I'm going to give you this. You can write this down. How do I do that, God? How do I do that, God? Here's what I want you to do. Be willing to be willing. God, I won't do that, but that sounds really hard. Because you know what so-and-so did, and I won't punch him in the head. I'm just paraphrasing. <laughs> right? But you know what I mean. And maybe so-and-so deserves to be punched in the head. Father, forgive them. Lord, I know how much you love me. I know that I deserve to be punched in the head by you. So God, I pray that your grace and mercy, Father, forgive me. And Lord, I choose to love that person. And I forgive them. Lord, I want to forgive them, but I'm still hurt by what they've done. Lord, help me. To have a heart of forgiveness. Help me to love them. Guys, this will change your life. You know, you can tell a bitter person, can't you? They're the ones that walk around looking like they're gassy. Y'all know what I mean. I'm being serious. You know what I'm talking about. Bitter people. And they're bitter because somebody hurt them and they never got over it. They never let go. And the bitterness, the Bible says that bitterness will get in your life and it will defile you and it will defile many. So somebody hurt somebody and it got down in there and what they started doing was allowing it to, to grow and flow and all of a sudden it grows into this nasty plant. Trisha's hilarious. We'll be driving down the road, and uh, especially in Texas, because in Texas there's flowers up and down the side of the road. And she goes, what kind of plant is that? And invariably I say, a weed. Because <laughs> it looks pretty, but it's really not. And, and those of you that have been around agriculture, you want to get rid of that stuff. Why? Because it's so soaking up moisture and not letting the good stuff grow. But sometimes it looks pretty. And sometimes bitterness is that way. We decorate it up to look good, but it's not. And it grows up. And it sucks all the moisture out of your life. And it's killing you. You know, the only way to kill something like that is at the root. So you got to deal with it. Pastor, I don't want to have to deal with it. You're dealing with it now. You're just not getting rid of it. And you wonder why you're being mean. And you wonder why you can't be happy. And you wonder why, man, y'all, some of y'all are going to have to take this home and listen to this later. This is, and until you deal with the root of what happened in your life, you're going to continue to deal with that over and over and over again. You got to deal with it. Pastor, it's not fair. You're right, it's not fair. Pastor, I don't deserve that. No, you're right. Some of you go, Pastor, I did deserve it. And it's harder for you to forgive yourself than somebody else. I'm talking about you too. Some of you need to forgive yourself for what you've done. Because we're all idiots to one degree or another. Some of us more than others, but I ain't going to go into that. Because, you know, I won't be nice. <laughs> but I'm up there at the front of the bunch, I can tell you. 
1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. Love never fails. Isn't that awesome? Jesus showed full love by doing something simple. He washed his disciples' feet. Isn't that awesome? I talked about that the other day. But, but this is one of the reasons why we do acts of service. Here, here's what I want you to do. For the people that are bothering you and, and you're having a hard time with, I want you to begin to love them and bless them and serve them. And what's going to happen is it's going to change their heart and they're going to end up with washed feet. You're going to make their life better. Some of y'all need to do that. Just take that to heart, right? Is it snowing, Marty? It's freezing? All right. <laughs> I hate to have to stop, but I guess I ought to. What time is it? It's 11 o'clock. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through these last two points, and then we're going to pray. Are you glad you came to church this morning? Yeah. You get anything out of it? Yeah. If you get stuck, I got toe straps in the truck. I'll pull you out, all right? Number three, Jesus learned humbly. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality God, with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. How do you love hard people to love? You humble yourself. Not, you know who has power is the person that can humble themselves. Jesus said the greatest among you is the one who serves. See, as the pastor of this church, I should be the greatest servant in this church. It shouldn't be all about me. It should be all about him, which means it's all about you, right? So we're humble. All right, so how do we do this? And I'm going to finish up here. Jesus learned humbly, number four. Jesus left boldly. He left boldly. He finished strong. Jesus finished his race strong. He finished his race strong. What can you do? And here's what you can do. These are the practical points because I always want you to leave with something you can have a handle on. And this is what I want you to do. And I want you to make a commitment. Instead of making these huge New Year's resolutions that you're not going to keep, probably, let's, let's do some little things that you can keep, right? So here's what I want you to do. Number one, or look at the little diamond on your piece of paper. The, give God the first day of every week. In other words, come to church. Y'all did that this morning. We're talking everybody who's not here, right? So we'll, we'll remind them next week. So what you need to do is give God the first day of every week. You need to tithe your time to God. The greatest asset you have is not your money, it's your time. Now don't get me wrong. I want you to tithe because we've got to do stuff. But your time is more valuable than your money because you can make more money, but you can't make any more time. And some of y'all are spending too much time watching TV. And you go, man, pastor, I don't have time. I don't have time to hear from God. Well, how much time are you spending doing something you don't need to be doing? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching TV. I, th I mean, I think it's cool. We can watch football games and all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's cool. But if you're spending more than a couple hours a day watching TV, you've got time to do something else. So you need to reallocate your time. That's a blessing right there. Just write that down. That's, thank you, Jesus. That's a blessing. All right, first day of every week. Second thing, you need to give God the first part of every day. 
When you get up, you need to spend some time praying and seeking God. Why? Because you need to give him the first part of your day. Pastor, it's hard for me to get up in the morning. How many of you, it's hard for you to get up in the morning? How many of you would be glad if I moved church to like 2 (laughs) o'clock? Okay, there's some of you. Appreciate your honesty. Thank you. You know, I appreciate the teenagers definitely raising their hand. But here's the deal. You need to give God the first part of your day. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen the rest of the day. Why not get in tune with him right off the bat so that you've already got, you're already in tune with what God's got going on? Instead of halfway through your day going, oh, God, I need some help, Jesus. Start off that way. Tithe your time. Okay? Third thing, give him the first portion of your income. Why? You've heard me say this before. Where your treasure is is where your heart is. How do you know this, pastor? If somebody tries to steal your money, you almost have a heart attack. That means your heart and your finances are connected. God knows that if you're tithing and you're giving, that your heart is with him. Right? But if you're you're not tithing, if you're not giving, you're not trusting him. And what that means is you're not giving him that first fruit and he can't bless that. And it's really because, guys, it's really because you're living in fear. Pastor, that sounds so hard mean. I'm not trying to be hard mean. I'm trying to be honest with you. What I'm telling you there is very simple. When we don't give God our, our tithe, when we don't give him our income, what we're doing is we're withholding for him because we're scared that he can't meet our need. He says, give, and I'll open up the windows of heaven and bless you. That sounds pretty good. Actually, the scripture says, I'll open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour out a blessing more than your barns can contain. Some of you are going, I don't have a barn. All right, your garage or your whatever. In other words, God's going to pour out so much blessing in your life that your storehouse, the thing you keep stuff in, can't contain it. It's overflowing. So when we choose not to tithe, what we're really saying is, God, I don't believe you. I can do a better job of managing this than you can say, Pastor, that sounds really hard. It's hard, but it's true. So just take that in, and, and we'll be good. All right. What's the last thing? Give God the first consideration of every decision you make. In other words, ask God, God, what should I do about this job? God, what should I do about this relationship? God, what should I do about? And you go to God first and ask him first. Is it easier to do it right the first time or the second time? Thank you. We know these things, don't we? So why don't we go to the creator of the universe and say, God, show me how to do this thing, this, that, and the other thing, and let him help us first instead of jumping in the big middle of something and then going, I need help. Help me. Right? Ask him first. Amen? All right, well, over the next few weeks, I'm going to go into more detail on these things. But this will give you something to chew on. But here's what I want you to do, and we're going to close. I want you to think about your life this week because you're probably going to have some time since it's going to be frozen and you can't do anything anyway. If I only had 30 days left, what would I do? How would I live? Write a list. Write a list. What would I do if I only had 30 days to live? I'm talking about you're in good health. You're not laying in a bed. I mean, you, you can get around for 30 days. How would I do differently? Who would I forgive? Who would I love? How would I live? What would I do differently? Amen? Let's all stand up. Grab your neighbor's hand. They've got cooties. That's all right. We've got germ X. It's all good.
We're a church family. This is what we do. Father, I just thank you for this time that we can come together. Lord, I pray right now for the weather that, Father, um, we won't have any injuries, that everybody will get home safe, Lord. Um, Lord, we know the kids don't want to go to school tomorrow, so we'll let you handle that. But, Lord, keep us all safe. That's the important thing. And, Father, I pray today that these words would really go down deep into our hearts. And I pray, Father, right now that you would speak to us. I know there's some people here, Lord, that have life change decisions going on. They're dealing with challenges. Father, help us to live like we're dying. Lord, Lord, let us live with the end in mind. Father, let us count our days and let us change the way we live so that we can live a life of no regrets, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay up here for a couple minutes if there's anybody Pastor, needs to come visit with me. Yes, sir. While, while we were in here, the, the temp has dropped significantly. The parking lot's pretty slick. Okay. The covered area here is really slick. It's slick okay. and clear ice. If you want somebody to bring your vehicle up, there's some guys out here if you'll, if you'll let them know if you, if you don't feel comfortable walking across the parking lot. Okay. It may be slick getting home, so everybody be careful. All right, y'all be careful. Be careful. I need all my first responders out in the front. <laughs> Barbie, be ready out there.